This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 253, and I'm talking with Nick Willis. Nick is a three-time Olympian. He's a two-time Olympic medalist in the 1500. He runs for New Zealand and lives here in Michigan. He is the father of two, and he recently took a full-time job with Tracksmith. In this episode, we talk about that a little bit. We talk about his career, what his running looked like after he became a father. And we hear a little bit about how losing his mom at the young age of five has molded and changed and played a huge role in the person he is today. Nick gets a little bit vulnerable with us on that topic. And I am just so honored and thankful that he opened up to me on the show and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation and really get to see his heart in this episode. Now Nick did stay on for an extra 10 to 15 minutes after the conversation for our Patreon supporters. So if you are supporting the show at the $5 level a month or more, you will get that extended conversation over on Patreon. Now, over on Patreon, I do two episodes a month for any supporter at any level, one with my husband, Glenn, and one with Lauren Flores, who is the host of the Up and Running podcast. And now we are opening back up to extended conversations with athletes. We're committing to at least one extended conversation a month for supporters at the $5 level or more. And then every other month, we are adding a Q&A with me. So Patreon supporters can ask any question and I will answer it. My communications manager, Emma Benner, will be hosting that and I'll be answering the questions. So you can find more information over at patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Prevenex. This is a new sponsor that I am so thankful for and so excited about. I'll share a little bit more about them in the mid-roll spot. You can find more information about them when you go to Prevenex.com and link to that will be in the show notes as well. Use the code another for 15% off your first order. Okay, more on them in the mid-roll and I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Nick Willis. All right, well, today on the podcast, we have Nick Willis joining us. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, thanks so, so much for having me. It's um, Yeah, it's fun to be here. Yeah. Congratulations on your new job with Tracksmith. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm just sort of getting my feet wet with this new world. I'm, I'm in the real world now. No longer can people say, what are you going to do with your, once you're finished running? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm doing it already and I still get to keep running as well. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm still a bit of a, a fly on the wall and just trying to learn as much as I can and slowly um, get the confidence to speak up at the company-wide um, meetings and stuff. But no, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, Tracksmith is really having 
a year. I feel like I first heard about them just a year ago, and then I met several people with them at the Olympic trials this year. I was I was doing an interview in the Omni Hotel, and I had a suite that was just a few doors down from the Tracksmith suite. I don't know. Were you there? No, I wasn't. I was still in New Zealand during that time. Okay. So anyway, I popped over and I met several of the people over there. And um, I thought it was just so cool that they had so many people running the Olympic trials in that kit. So many of the elites that aren't necessarily sponsored by big companies out there racing in the gear. Yeah, they've just taken a, a really patient approach. Um, they've been around since we're with. I can say we, not they now. Yeah. I'm, I'm with the company, right? That's sort of fun to, to say. I've got to learn to sort of change that voice. Um. But before I was there and then still now, I'm learning that they've really been patient and very um, intentional is perhaps one way of saying it about their approach and to, to sticking with their ethos and make sure that anything that they do is very deliberate and well thought through. And so I was taking care of their immediate community in, in the New England area initially and slowly and surely um, a lot of their plans and ideas have, have come to fruition Um which have been well crafted out and the, the Olympic trials was one of those um, perfect moments where everything sort of lined up and there was an opportunity for them to support a, a huge number of the athletes that had qualified. There were so many runners who had qualified more than any other um, marathon trials, I believe. Um, there's people are suddenly running a lot faster times on the roads at the moment with the shoe technologies and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it was, it was awesome that Tracksmith was able to, to yeah, enable um, people who didn't have, um, who weren't locked into to a deal um, with a, a traditional shoe contract, were able to get some support and feel like they're part of a what is going to hopefully be a, a movement within the sport. Yeah, it was it was super smart branding. And I know that it wasn't just about the branding, but it was really smart. Kira D'Amato, who is one of the athletes that runs with Tracksmith, she's been on this podcast uh, several times. And I think she was 15th at the trial. So was exci- she might have been the first uh, Tracksmith runner through the finish line. I'm not positive. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it was 90, 90 runners in the gear, right? Am I quoting that right? I believe it might have been even upwards of 120. Oh my gosh! It was, it was 20% of the entire field. That I know that that's the the more accurate stat that I can quote. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get into all kinds of running talk, but I know you were also sponsored by Adidas for a long time. So just talk to us about the transition there. Yeah, actually, I, I turned pro. I was running at Michigan, and I turned pro my junior year in 2005, and I signed with Reebok. And I was very fortunate to be with them for eight years. And then I transitioned into Adidas for another seven years. Adidas, of course, owns Reebok. So I've sort of been mm. under that same mm. umbrella for um, for 15 years. And it's been an incredible journey. I've been very well taken care of. Um, but it was different. I was, um, I was a traditional contracted athlete. I'm a New Zealander who's based in America. So um, I, I had sort of... I connected with the, the local American um, team, but I was also an international um, athlete based out of um, with dealing with their headquarters in Germany and their marketing team in Amsterdam. So yeah, it was it was it was great, and I had an incredible support. But um, you're still one of many, 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 many athletes in many different sports that uh, a massive um, corporation like Adidas is. Um, 
and so yeah this this was a, a really unique opportunity that's just the, the timing of it worked out perfectly for me to um it was really my wife's idea initially was like maybe we could we should think outside the box is there a way to use your last couple of years of running to um to potentially get your foot in the door for your post running career future as well um and to, to have a, a seat at the table and start um, working towards your your non-running career as it was. And so I had a connection with Matt Taylor, the CEO of Tracksmith and one of the the co-founders. And um, so I emailed out to him and put in a sales pitch. And it was just the timing, as I said before, it just worked out that they, he and they were in a position where they were looking at adding uh, another couple of members to the team. And um and I was able to sort of slot into to one of those roles quite perfectly. And um, had I asked a, a several months earlier or if they had approached me several months earlier, n- neither of us probably would have been um, available or willing or ready for it. So it's just everything lined up. And especially now as we've gone through this pandemic and all of the challenges that that's caused, it's, it's made me just that much more grateful and appreciative of um, given the economic um challenges that many businesses and many individuals are facing. Um, I feel very blessed. Yeah, I heard you mention that you had sent a proposal. Now, I'm just curious, like, because Mary Kane is also kind of coming on and doing the same thing as you, you. Were they already thinking of bringing on a couple of pros to also work for the team? Or when you sent your proposal, did you pitch for them to bring on a couple of people? How did that work at the same time? No, my initial my initial reaching out to Matt was just about myself and my my unique circumstances. I had an opportunity to 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 have some freedom. I guess I was an unrestricted a free agent, if you're using NBA um, yeah. vernacular. Um, and yeah, I was just looking for a situation for myself. And then when I, we were about three quarters of the way through that interview or um, courting process, I suppose. Matt mentioned to me that they actually have been talking to another another athlete for a similar type of situation, um, a female athlete from America, and so I had no idea who it was, and my wife and I were sort of really sort of trying to figure out who it could be, and then two weeks before the announcement, they actually told me, um, which is, and then once they said, I was like, oh my goodness, they're brilliant, they're so smart, and it just reiterated to me that... Um, how well thought they, how well thought out they put into every um, decision-making process. Mary was just the perfect fit wow. for their role to, to expand their their community reach to to New York. She's 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 a New Yorker through and through, and is a very um close bond with that community. And I had her name hadn't even popped up in my mind as as one of the possibilities. So I was like, wow. I, I'm really falling into good hands where I can learn from some very, very smart and um, well thought out people. Yeah, that is, that was that is so smart, and um, I think it's I'm so excited for Mary as well. And you both are at such different phases in your careers, and you know, of course, Mary had a really big year last year coming out with her story. Um, did you know Mary before all this? Mary's coach for the last um, however many years, even when she was working with Alberto Salazar, her on-the-ground coach in New York City, is a, a friend of mine. We were roommates in the 2004 Olympics, actually, in Athens. His name's John Henwood. He ran the 10,000 meters for New Zealand, and he's been based in New York ever since then. And so 
whenever I'm in the city for a race, I'll pop by and get a massage from John. He's a, a coach and a personal trainer and a massage therapist. Um, and so I'll catch up with him and he'll always mention how things are going with Mary and her training and stuff. And then a couple of years ago, he set up a couple of meetings between my wife and I and Mary, um, to sort of talk through some of her thoughts on training to, um, just be an extra um, set of ears for John and her as they're working through some things. So yeah, I, I got to meet her a little bit. We actually went for a run together one time in Boston, of all places, where Tracksmith is based. So we we had a, a an established relationship. But um, yeah, once once the announcement came, it was fun to um to reach out to her and to to share this sort of orientation process and this journey together. We're not just on our own on this. We're sort of being welcomed into the Tracksmith family together, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like you meet someone at one phase of your life and you have no idea things are going to come full circle and you'll be working together later. Um, speaking of coaching, I'm so intrigued by the fact that your wife coaches you. Um, I know Coach Warhurst has been a longtime coach of yours, but I would love to hear a little bit about that relationship with your wife coaching you and what that looks like. When I first met my wife um, on campus, um, she wasn't involved in the sport of running in any stretch of the imagination. She had done a couple of 10Ks with her girlfriends and then maybe they went for like a midnight or late night run a couple of times a week, like 10 minute mile pace jogging when the sick of studying sort of thing but that she had never been involved in the sport of running um and then when we got engaged um i my season was about to ramp up again my training after having a break um and my coach said you better bring sierra along and i said all right so he he took her out for a, a coffee and a donut and they drove around in the golf cart while i battled around the the hilly golf course for a four mile tempo run and they really connected over coffee and donuts and they formed a really close bond right right from that moment and ever since that's really been the process that they've been together as as friends first and over those years she's been mentored by one of the in my opinion one of the world's greatest ever coaches over middle distance so in her words she would have to be an absolute idiot if she didn't become very knowledgeable herself having <laughs> Um, uh, front row seat to one of the greatest minds in our sport all of these years, you know. But first and foremost, Ron's been a great friend to us. Now he's like a third grandparent to our children, and um, it really has it really shows his humility to welcome her into the fold and not be threatened by someone who doesn't understand running or didn't at the time. Right before an Olympic year, we got married like 11 months before the Beijing Olympic Games. And okay. a lot of other people that were close to me were like really worried. And she actually received some sort of emails that were a bit um, matter of fact, like make sure you don't screw up Nick's running. He's really, <laughs> you may not understand what, because I, I was sort of, the way I communicated with everybody else is that running wasn't really a priority at the stage I was in La La Land. I was Oh, because you were so in love. <laughs> all of that sort of stuff. Um, so they were all worried, but it was a, a very healthy distraction. And um, and Ron wasn't like that at all. He he brought her into the fold. And um, ever since then, she slowly just naturally assumed the role as his assistant coach. And we travel three to seven months a year away from our home in Ann Arbor. And so she has really continued his um, 
his coaching role when he's not around. Um, and then even when he is around, she helps, um, she, she and him together when they're at the, the coffee shop or the donut shop, write out workouts on napkins and then figure mm-hmm. out ways to communicate it to me so I won't get all defensive. <laughs> I love that. Will you tell the story about how you guys met and the first date that you set up for your wife in college? We passed each other. I was I was <laughs> waiting for a class to open up. I was sitting in the hallway in college, and she was passing by in the hallway. And she's like a twenty out of ten, as my friends oh. from high school would say. And I'm like a two, right? So <laughs> I like she walks by, and I'm like so nervous. And I say, "Hey, I I, I knew of her because she was the um." Her sis, her sister was dating a friend, an acquaintance of mine, and so I knew who she was. And she said hi to me a little bit as well, but um, I couldn't get her out of my mind. So I, a couple of weeks went by, like I can't ask her out. We've never even met before. How do I get in touch with her? But eventually, I thought, all right, I'll, I'll ask, I'll find a way to ask her out, but I'll do it in a way that um she can't just be polite to me and then drag me on. I need to like, I just need straight up closure so I can stop forgetting, stop thinking about her and she can like shut me down, whatever. <laughs> so I organized a big elaborate first date and I, I sent her and uh, an invitation for her and three of her friends to come to a dinner party at my apartment. And I had three of my friends come along and we, we went and picked them up and we, we all got dressed up and like the invitation told them to get in their best gears and all that sort of stuff and we we cooked them a dinner and then we had um uh salsa instructors come and knock <laughs> on the door after the dinner and we did some dancing and which i'm an absolutely terrible dancer it was probably a bad idea because she's she's really really good so um but in the end um she didn't she didn't turn me down so i knew if she was gonna except uh, my my texts or calls after that then she was actually into me it wasn't just being polite because <laughs> um she didn't want to leave me on so yeah 11 months later we got married and now we've got two great kids Lockie and Darcy six and two years old that's such a quick turnaround to getting married I was already a professional runner and she was about to graduate and was considering looking at maybe teaching English in um, South Korea or somewhere like that. Um, so we had some pretty significant life moments coming up and decisions. Was I going to move back to New Zealand or not? So right from the outset, um, it was like, are we just going to date for the sake of dating or are we going to date with the purpose of seeing whether we want to do this for the long haul? So it, it meant that we made a lot of decisions, which, um, which established a lot of trust and we didn't have to deal with the two steps forward, five steps back sort of stuff. And, um, always knowing like, are we going to get married or aren't we sort of approach? Um, I'm not saying that's for everybody, but for our situation in life at the time, it it worked out and we're still married together 12 years after. So that seemed to work out. She's put up with me for that long. (laughs) Yeah. And you mentioned your two kids. So you're a four time Olympian. You had your first child, what, after the third Olympics? 2013, he was born. So, yeah, it would have been right after. And then Darcy was born after the Rio Olympics. With the, um, yeah, I guess you could say that they've been born after the Olympic cycles, partly because. Oh, sure. 
with my wife being a coach, she wants to be able to travel and not be restricted with flying and all of that sort of stuff. But also then the Zika issue with, yeah, um, yeah. that impacted our decisions. But we've been actually we're pretty happy having a four and a half year age difference, and um, I think our kids get on really well together because they 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 don't feel like they're competing for anything. The the older sibling is quite excited to have the younger sibling around as opposed to threat being threatened by him. For sure. Uh, I wonder how your mindset shifted or if it shifted at all uh, with training once you became a dad. Uh, initially, I found it quite difficult um, just in general being a selfish person who could always choose how I spent my days and um, had all my different hobbies and interests and all of that. And when I became a dad, although I was really excited to be a dad, I think my first sort of 11 months of being a dad, I always thought of this is limiting me from being able to do X, Y, and Z golf, golf being one of the major ones. Right. Um, because I, I sometimes saw it as like this limits the actual interests I have. And it wasn't until there was a moment, it wasn't by choice. It just happened where suddenly I finally learned how to view my son as my primary interest. And I got most of my enjoyment by watching his interests develop. So I, I adopted his interests as being my interests. And then from that point on, it's been a, it's been an awesome journey. And it no longer became, oh, I'm missing out on this stuff. Like, I get to do all of the cool stuff that my son is interested in. And I've influenced his some of his, his interests over the years as well. He's a big-time basketball fan, and he comes to the skate park with me and all that sort of stuff. Um from a running standpoint, um, being a professional athlete was a, a real blessing versus someone who has to go to the office and their their schedule is dictated by their boss. I guess many professional athletes now are part of professional groups, so they have a boss and their coach, and they have to stick to a pretty strict schedule. But um, I found that I was never limited by how much I could sleep having even though our son woke up like 11 times a night he never slept more than sort of 50 minutes in one spurt that might sound arduous and how can you run well on that but because we had nothing else going on in our lives we got rid of all of our social interests um we would go to bed at 7 p.m and we'd wake up at about 10 a.m um with breaks every hour within that time. But within that period, I was getting a good eight or nine or 10 hours of total sleep because ultimately babies need a lot of sleep. So, so long as you're able to sleep when they sleep, you'll, you'll get more than the doses that you need. So I had that flexibility without having to be at an office that I could sleep during the day as, as my child did. And for a long time he would only sleep if he was on me as well. So that helped. Um, and I had one of my best ever years running 2014 was when he had just turned a year old and I ran PRs over nearly every distance. And my mile PR, when I the only time I've broken 350, was one of his worst nights ever the night before <laughs> the race. We were in Oslo, Norway, and, you know, in the middle of summer in Scandinavia, there's only like one hour of darkness. It's pretty much light all of the time. So he just he couldn't calm himself down and sleep in the apartment that we were staying at. And eventually my wife says, I, I know that you're going to race tomorrow. It's the diamond league, but I I'm up to here. You've got to help me out. 
um, this was at like by 3 a.m. So I was like, yeah, sure, that's not a problem. Well, it was hard, but for both of us. Um, so I, the only way he would go to sleep is if one of us would pick him up and do about 70 half squats. You'd like bounce up <laughs> and doing the squatting movement, right? And so I was doing that all night and I got a total of about three hours sleep during that night. But during the day, he was wiped out and he finally slept all day and I... I got some sleep during the day and I ran the best mile of my life. So my wife's always sort of encouraged me to tell my, my training partners or who are often younger than me, if they're about to have a kid, like you are not allowed to use racing as an excuse to not help out with your, I love that. Um, cause Nick, cause you ran your PR even after one of those worst nights. Yeah. I love hearing that. I love hearing the dad, um, talk about that. My husband has always been super hands-on helping in the middle of the night as well. And it's, it's huge. It is huge because for one person to carry that load, especially if you have a baby that's colicky or can't sleep, it's so difficult. Now, did your second child sleep a little bit better? (laughs) Not really, not at all. Um, and it was almost worse because the only thing he ever wanted to do was nurse and, Mm. um, we have chosen not to use formula, and so there was very little I could do in that to help. Um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't able to assist as much in that situation, um, but I never – I was always in the same room and yeah. trying to support my wife in whatever I can, but, yeah, it was, it's, it was – both kids were pretty exhausting for her, and um, so there's a lot of empathy and all of that. I, I think my running perhaps was affected a little bit more from having a second kid because you didn't have that same ability to you have catch up sleep because you have yeah. your child to take care of during the day as well. But I don't think um, in a big in the big picture of things. So what's going on now? You you've got four. You've ran in four Olympics. You've medaled twice, and. Are you, do you want to run? I mean, now that the Olympics has postponed to 2021, I'm assuming you want to run in that fifth Olympics, but you tell us, what are your thoughts? Back in September last year, I was running out of nearly any emotional um, reserve that I had towards competitive running. It was really um, something that I wasn't certain I wanted to continue to do. Um, but I had the Fifth Avenue Mile coming up, and um, well, it was sort of August, and then when Fifth Avenue Mile came up, and I won that race, like suddenly that brought a whole um, new lease of life for me. Um, and so I started building up for this Olympic cycle, and I, I really was excited to go back and race in New Zealand and sort of do some more more intimate racing events where I was back home in my home country and those went pretty well and I, I really set a target of trying to qualify for for the Olympics um, through the, the world ranking system as opposed to doing it by qualifying time and I and I, I did what I needed to do. I was about to be announced on the team I think about two weeks before the team was announced was when everything shut down. Um, and I wasn't certain how that was going to impact me, but I I decided that I wasn't going to let the COVID thing determine when my running was going to end. Mm. Um, I was going to still run them, and then I would decide later. So I decided I'll at least train hard for the next three months and then make a decision later on. And um, Slowly and surely, I, I really started 
I wasn't sure if I'd get a passion for it again, but um, especially in the last three or four weeks, it's it's really come along really hard. I've started training with people again here in Michigan, and that, that's been a blast having training partners. And um, yeah, I I'm, I'm ready to commit to another full cycle, getting ready for an, to try and qualify and do as best as I can at the the Tokyo Games. If you'd asked me about that back in August, I don't think I would have been in that um, headspace. So that's, that's, yeah, I feel much better that I'm able to like have that excitement. I'm not just doing it to please other people. Yeah. It's gotta be a strange decision to decide like when you're going to hang something up and when you're not, because when you say I'm hanging it up, it feels so definite, but you're probably, you're never going to hang up running totally. And like, I don't know when you close the door and you say, I'm not running professionally anymore does the desire to race just go away? I think that's the beauty of this new situation that I've been fortunate enough to find myself in. Before I thought I'm going to be a professional runner and then I've got to hustle my way into starting my own company or my own little side hustles and a bunch of different um, little businesses that I had ideas for or I'm going to commit to trying to climb the corporate ladder, right, which – running has to become second or third fiddle after family and all of that sort of stuff. That's where this has really given me an additional lease of life that although I am a full-time employee at Tracksmith, one of, one of my, um, one of the things within my job descriptions is to, to run in Tracksmith gear when I choose to race. Um, I don't have to race. I could choose to never race again. But while I am still racing, I'm allowed to allocate the necessary amount of time each day or each week towards um, being the best runner that I can be. So it means that I get to I get to pursue my career. I get to dive into this new world I've always been so intrigued about. This having this mindset of um, being beyond than just trying to be. It's, it always feels like a bit of a selfish pursuit. Just focusing on yourself being the best runner you can be all the time you want to start thinking beyond that but so I now I get to do those things and running happens to be one of the ways I can do that job the best um so yeah I think now it's not a matter of trying to get through to the Olympics it's like I can run indefinitely maybe it's the Olympics maybe it's just entering a local 5k maybe it's doing some trail running maybe it's taking six or 12 months off to go skiing I can pick and choose the seasons of focus and the seasons of putting running a second or third focus. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, it's, it's a very freeing experience knowing that there isn't this requirement or expectation, but it's purely by choice now. Now, I don't remember if I read this from something you tweeted an article or a podcast, but I, I heard you say something along the lines of now you can like go pick up a basketball and go play and do hobbies like that, that you we're probably keeping yourself from doing because you didn't want to get injured or whatever. So are you actively doing those things now? Well, I've always shot hoops in my driveway <laughs> with my son, but I've always um, refrained from ever playing a game of pickup. Like if people, if we're at the gym, if I'm at the Y with my son, people say, Hey, we need an extra guy. And I say, I'd love to, but I, I can't at my, I'm a professional runner. I, I, if I twist my ankles or whatever, then I could lose my income for the next year. I don't actually say that directly. Right. Sounds like a bit, <laughs> a bit odd thing to say, but um. But it's true. But now, 
I'm willing to to take like I'm willing to take some of those injury risks because if I have to miss a couple of months of training, so what? I get I can come back once I'm. I mean, I obviously don't want to get injured, injured, but I don't want to live my life always being totally cautious, you know. And I do believe that there's an element of risk with running training as well, and we we still choose to do it despite um, the chances of picking up a stress fracture or a twisted ankle in the trails. Or last the other night, I went for a ten o'clock run and in the trails with a headlamp on because my kids finally went to bed and I, I face planted a couple of times. So you, <laughs> you're, you're capable of injuring yourself running as well. Are you a night owl though? Because I saw that you tweeted that too. And I'm thinking once I get my kids to bed at night, I'm not doing any kind of running. I'm like done. I'm so exhausted from the day I'm done. It totally depends on whether I've had a nap in the day or not. Okay. Um, and so I'm, I'm a bit of a serial napper and perhaps that's the main um, thing that will change for the, that will have a long lasting change in my, my daily routine now that I'm a full-time worker as opposed to just a pro athlete. My naps now, um, maximizing the power nap of seven to 15 minutes as opposed <laughs> to doing like a, a 90 minute deep full REM cycle sleep. Um, but the truth is you come out of a 15 minute power nap and you still feel pretty revitalized. Sometimes better probably than the full yep. 90 minutes. I always, that's such a blessing that you can nap. I'm not a napper. My husband's a great napper. He can decide to close his eyes and be out right away, you know, and I, I just can't do it. So I, when we had very small kids, I just gave up on it because I would get so frustrated that I couldn't do it. Um, are you seeing... Like, how long have you technically been full-time with Tracksmith? I'm wondering if you're seeing a big shift in just how you prioritize your day and everything. I started April 20th, so almost five or six weeks now. I am amazed that I have – I'm not one that has ever had the need to be organized Mm. because I've been self-employed and and running has been the priority – if you set up this podcast with me in the past, then I'd say, oh, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And then it would happen. And if it suddenly popped in my mind, oh, yeah, I'm doing a podcast on Thursday, I'd either remember it or I wouldn't. Yeah. Um, I ne- well, I've never had been one to like rely on a daily calendar. But when it's your job, like the first thing I do every morning when I wake up is I go to my calendar, what meetings do I have today and all of this. And um, that's been a really awesome, healthy change to my approach to life as I'm a much more organized person. To my surprise, I wasn't sure if I was fully, fully capable of that. But um, but that that's actually been quite a, um, a refreshing sort of character change or character improvement. Um, and it definitely has proven to me the idea of if you ne- ever need something done, ask a busy person to do it. Oh. Um, because they, what's one more task if you're already doing 14, you know, I'm actually more productive around the house or with any other little side stuff that we've got going on because it's just like, well, it's just one more little task. Like you're just doing it throughout the day. Whereas when I had no tasks to do in a day, like it feels like such more of a grind to actually get out and like get into that mindset. No, yeah, I can totally see that on late on lazy days or when days that I don't have a ton of interviews or anything like that. It feels like that. I totally see what you're saying. It's crazy how being busier actually makes you more productive in other areas as well. I'm sure your wife's not sad about getting other things done around the house and whatnot too. And it's made going for runs a lot more um, 
productive as well because if I've got a seventy minute window between meetings, it's like oh, as soon oh. as the as soon as the window as soon as one meeting ends, I put my shoes on and go. There's not that time of like, mm. man, do I really? I don't feel like going for a run today. You don't have time to think that. You just go do it. Um, whereas when you've got all day to do it, it's like sometimes it's like putting on bricks on your feet. You just don't want to get out before, <laughs> you know. Whereas yeah, it's it's a since my office that I've set up is in is my, in my basement. It's nice to get out there was um, and get away from it. So there's there's a really good balance. I, at first, I wasn't sure if I'd want to be down in the basement where there's only sort of like those little light light um, windows mm-hmm. bringing in light, but it actually makes me more excited to go training each day. So it's a good balance. Well, that's interesting. We just finished this tiny room in our basement, and we kind of made it a playroom. And my kids, you know, you make them a little area to play, but they still want to be like right in the kitchen next to you all day. And I, I cannot get them to go play down there. And so, and it's a nice little room. And I thought, well, why don't I just set up an office down there? But it's same. It's got those little block windows. And I just, I'm like, do I want to be down there all day? It, it feels kind of dark. And I want to see, like right now I'm looking out a window and I can see all these flowers in a yard. So... I don't know if I can pull the trigger on the basement office, but maybe you'll convince me otherwise. If you're stuck and you have to put on a huge block of work in one go, I can see why that wouldn't work. But for me, because a lot of my stuff I can sort of break into 40-minute or 50-minute blocks, I come upstairs, hang out with my kids for 20 minutes, and like I'm excited to be up there, and I give them some good quality time, and it's a real like break for me, and then I jump back into my work downstairs again. It's It's a good way to sort of separate all of that. Yeah, and the basement's a little bit cooler too, which feels good. It's hot upstairs right now. Um, okay, well, let's talk about running just a little bit and those Olympic years. You medaled in 2008. You medaled in 2016. You had a kind of sad-for-you race, I'm sure, in 2012. Um, I guess the question is how do you pick yourself back up after that race in 2012 and decide, I still got it. I had a bad day. I'm going to go back and we're going to do this again in four years. The initial sort of thought of denial was my first approach to, to what had happened. And I just didn't want to think about it. And I just wanted to be happy and life goes on. Mm. We actually had booked a holiday to the, we went to a couple of the Greek islands. We went to Paris and then Santorini for a, a week, my wife and I. And I was, wasn't willing to address the disappointment from London, but she eventually, she knew what was deep down going on and she, she dragged it out of me. And so I finally had to face all of that stuff that I never wanted to deal with. And it was hard and I wasn't sure. And, um, my contract was ending with Reebok and I wasn't sure what was in my future and whether I, whether there was a future for me in running or whether I wanted to have a future in running. But I had promised my father-in-law that I, when I asked his permission to to ask Sierra if she would marry me um, back um, several years before that, that I would finish my degree at Michigan, I which I hadn't done. When I turned pro, I'd sort of put some of that to the side and I'd taken a class here or there. And I finally had one, one full semester to go. So rather than drag it out, I thought, I'm going back to school. I'm going to just do it as one semester. And it was awesome. I was a 29-year-old kid taking 100 level classes to finish my degree a couple of 100 level classes and one upper level writing econ class and it was the first time I'd ever felt like a student in my life before I was always an athlete who begrudgingly had took my classes because it was required 
but I was so sick of thinking about running after the games. Like I wanted to embrace this life as a student for the first time. And I set up all of the study groups with all these 20 year old kids. And like, I was that annoying guy who sat at the front of the classroom and it was awesome. And I had a, a great time as a student again. And, um, like I'm experiencing now getting outside for a run at the end of a long day on campus, um, was my stress relief. And I, suddenly started finding how much I enjoyed just the simplicity of running, getting out in the trails, just using it as a break away from screen, from being on the laptop or being in the lecture hall. And, um, and I started getting really fit as well. Uh, so by the time I, I finally finished the semester and graduated, I was in really, really good shape. I hadn't done any formal workouts, but I was hammering a lot of my runs. Um, and it was sort of, yeah, just one of that, one of those, periods in my in my career where I just built up this unbeknownst fitness without realizing it and um, it was time to capitalize so racing just happened and I started running really well and um, I was between sponsors at the time so I was picking and choosing races where I thought I could win if I won then I could make the most prize money Mm. and in the past because I was taken so well so well taken care of by my sponsors I didn't really focus on trying to win races. I wanted to do the races I thought, which would um, help me run the fastest times. But it eventually gets exhausting just finishing sixth or seventh or fourth or third in races all the time. It's you, you miss that sense of winning. And in 2013, I probably won the most races I ever did while I was between sponsors because I was picking the right types of races where I thought I had a chance at winning. And I love crossing that finishing tape and raising my arms and high-fiving and signing autographs and all of that and that just rejuvenated my love for running and um, that really launched me into the next Olympic campaign through to Rio. Okay so then when did you pick up the sponsor after that? Uh, I that during that season in 2013 um, there's always a bit of a lull after an Olympic mm -hmm. cycle mm -hmm. um, Generally, sponsors um, are looking for the next Olympic cycle. So, especially when you're entering your thirtieth year in light on this earth, it's like, mm -hmm. is this is this person going to be around for another Olympic cycle? So, I totally understood like the hesitancy from some of the shoe companies, but Adidas um, took a gamble on me as this 29 year old who looked to be regressing. I went from second at Olympics to ninth. Mm -hmm. But, um, but their trust in me paid off and I was able to um, get back on the podium at the next Olympic cycle. So I'm very grateful for them for that. Yeah, looking back now, doesn't that sound funny to say 29 felt seemed older? Because now at 37, 29 probably sounds pretty young. Yeah, it's, it's a really um, funny phase in people's running career, I guess. I have more recently in the last sort of five years benefited from that sort of Meb Kofleski or Bernard Legat phenomena where if you've been around such a long time, then you're actually more marketable in many ways because you're so recognizable on the start line. If Whereas the camera pans past the field on the start line of a mile race, they, they stop at two or three or four of the 13 athletes and they always stopped at me. They always stopped at Legat. And mm -hmm. in the last several years, they've generally stopped on me because it's someone that the people and the fans recognize, whereas that never happened to me when I was younger. Um, but when you're 29, it's like you are aging, but you people aren't sure if that person's going to make that next step mm -hmm. to being a successful 
um, runner in, in their 30s. So there's, there's sometimes that's the drop-off point for a lot of athletes. Now you're the really old man on the start line. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's not too many people. I, I should have looked up a list that have run in five Olympics. You know, if you should go on and run in the Olympics next next time. I know Abdi, he just made his fifth Olympic team. Um, who else? Do you Can you think of anybody else that... I, there's a list on Wikipedia. Um, in he, track and field, I think there's about 11 or 12 okay. people. It's not a lot, um, yeah. I know. Something I could have looked up. <laughs> maybe it's a little bit longer, but there's only two who have done six. Six. Um, Do you know who they are? I know Merlene Artie is one of them. She was a sprinter for Jamaica, and then she eventually switched to Slovenia. Okay. Um, and there's a race walker or two. Gosh, um, six cycles. But, but there's no male track athlete who has done five, I don't believe. I okay. think most of the... Other people are all field eventers or female track athletes. Uh, Kim Collins, obviously, in the 100, but I, maybe I'm thinking of distance runners on the track. Yeah. Wow, that's but such a that's such a long career. My motivation initially was like, well, maybe it will give me a much better chance at job interviews if I can say I went to five Olympics mm-hmm. than four. But now that I... Now you don't need that. <laughs> I don't need to worry about that anymore, you know? Yeah, you can just do what feels right. Hey, friends. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Nick Willis. I know I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I want to thank a sponsor now. I am super excited about this new sponsor. They have a wide array of amazing products and the sponsor is Prevenex. These products have made a huge difference in my own health and life and I can't wait to share it with you. As runners, joint longevity is super important to our performance and our overall health. Our joints take a pounding day in and day out, and joint pain can completely derail training. Provenex has a product that is clinically proven to help your joint cartilage. It helps protect it. It is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just seven to 10 days. Crazy, right? But it's true. It works. I've been using it for two months now and it works. Their product, Joint Health Plus, which I have been taking religiously, helps with stiffness and flexibility. And the main ingredient is clinically proven, not just tested, but proven to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. So I'm so excited that you all can Try this out for 15% off your first order and there's a 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't feel the benefits, you can return the product. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. So go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. I will have a link to that in the show notes of this podcast episode. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER to save 15% off your order. All right, friends, enjoy the remainder of my conversation with Nick Willis. Does what motivates you now look different than what motivated you, you know, back in 2004 when you were in school or, you know, 2008 when you won that first medal? Yeah, as a kid, I was incredibly motivated to to make a name for myself. I felt like I had something to prove and my mother died when I was a little kid and so I always felt like there was something different about me compared to the the easier lives that a lot of my friends or peers had. So I wanted to prove that I could mm. do something significant, you know. Um, but then as I 
as I made it almost to the top, then I had to figure out new way. I didn't need to have that chip on my shoulder anymore. I, I, I found other ways and it's not always the case. Um, there's different days, different things motivate me. Um, sometimes it used to be cause I wanted to really beat Craig Mottram or Matt Centrowitz or Bernard Leggett. They're sort of the three guys that I keyed off of during my career. Um, but I think when it really comes down to it, what I this, what I really enjoy is getting out on the trails, on a single track trail in the woods where there's no one around, and there's twists and turns and tree roots and rocks to jump over. Um, I, I do, I really love that. Um, and that is 80% of the type of running I do. So if I go do what I love to do and then it eventually builds up fitness, then um, it's it's not really that much more of a step to actually let translate that fitness into a more refined racing fitness on the track and being around people that I, that care about me and that I care about them and that um, a very encouraging and motivating Ron and my wife being the, the two for, foremost people um, and my massage therapist and dear friend Earl Wink and my physios over the years, I've been through a lot of surgeries and injuries having a, a group of, um, of people that are close to you and it's been consistent all through this. We've shared the highs and the lows and the tears and the joys and everything in between. Um, all of the, there's about 15 people from our tight team that traveled to London to watch that Olympics. That was going to be the one I was going to win, right? Mm -hmm. They invest a lot of money, brought all of their family over their kids and we all rented accommodation close together. And that was the disappointing race, but we all, cried together but then we all have celebrated together since then so um i think that really is probably the best answer i can give to that when you're not motivated those people motivate you mm. yeah it's a really healthy way to look at it when you're just when you're doing what you're enjoying for 80 percent of the time and that leads to the fitness you know you got to put the work in too but yeah i love that i think that i think that runners even non-elite professional runners um glamorize you know like the speed work and all that but you you might actually enjoy running for the sport marathoning whatever it is if you cross train more if you do other things that you enjoy if you go rollerblading like because it gives your mind a break too and I think people glamorize those high mileage weeks and things like that and I just think that message there that do what you love and the fitness will come is, is so good. Um, you mentioned your mom. I did read that she passed away when you were four. And I, I'm curious, uh, I think it was the Runner's World article I read about where you kind of, I don't know if, I'm not going to say this right because it's not my life, but you kind of um, grieved over that as a college student and kind of came to what uh, your feelings really were about growing up with your mom being gone. So I would just kind of love to hear a little bit about that experience. Yeah, I had, I had never had dealt with the, the grieving process, partly because when she died, I, she was actually died when I just turned five. She had been sick most of my fourth year um, with cancer. I was so young to really understand that. And then once I slowly became more and more mature and able to like, process that I, I denied that I didn't want to have to go down that rabbit hole and um, feel that pain and I avoided it at all costs and so there were a couple of moments during my teenage years where out of nowhere I just broke down into tears but I sort of quickly like picked myself up and didn't 
do the, the proper process. Um, but it, it was really um, the summer after my freshman year in college, like freshman year, it's like eyes wide open, the whole world's available to you on campus, you know, you got all this freedom and you're discovering who you're going to be as an adult. And I, I did all of that. And um, after my freshman year, I returned back to New Zealand um, and I just, a relationship that I'd been in had ended and I was sort of on my own and I I wasn't in communication with anybody. It was just me and myself and my thoughts. Um, and that's when I really started, um, yeah, figuring out where what this role that my mother and my mother's role in my life was and still potentially could be. And that's when I... I realized that I had a, a lot of anger still about her death and that I had harbored a lot of anger towards um, my stepmom for coming in and involving herself in our family's, herself and our family's life, which we have a great relationship now, but it, I had sort of had unfairly harbored some resentment towards her. But ultimately I realized that I was angry at God this I had grown up in the church and but I felt like that's so unfair that this happened to me and I was quite selfish along those thinkings. But it was it was it was genuine. Um and so I finally wrestled with that process for the first time and um and I re I did truly genuinely believe like that she was up in heaven right now and then I realized, wait a minute, if she's in heaven there must be someone who created heaven that's when I finally made peace with God as well and so yeah that was a that was probably a six-month process and it wasn't easy but um it almost became addictive to finally read through some of her journal posts and her diary entries and um that I I yearned to cry finally because of there were all these years that I had sort of put off those tears um and ever since then, there's never been that sense of like sadness about it, but I can actually look, um, I can be totally at peace with this whole situation. And especially now becoming a parent, mm -hmm. it's sort of come full circle and watching my wife and her role with our children has been so awesome for me as an observer because I don't really have any memories of my actions or how my mom and I interacted. There are some things, but it's not it's not clear whether the things I've been told or that I've looked at photographs and I've created those memories, you know. Mm -hmm. But watching how my wife interacts with our sons and how they interact with her, like it's undeniable to me that who they already are is so well formed and that will carry into their rest of their lives and it's so much of who they are is because of how she has mm um raised them and her involvement with them and then I realize it gives me a much greater appreciation for the role that my mother played for the short amount of time that we had together I was only four years old before she started getting really sick but who I am now must be so much a product of those four years um that those formative times so that's that's been really cool to come full circle with that as well that is so cool to think of. And, and I do think about that, you know, with my own kids because tragedy happens and, you know, cause you're always like, man, if something happened as your kids get older, you're like, well, they remember me. Um, but I love what you said about your wife because seeing what she's already instilled in them, 
like whether they remember those memories or not, like you said, you look at a picture or whatever, and that makes you think you remember um, that those actions that she's doing every day. And it makes me feel like that too. Like the actions I'm doing every day, even with my littlest kids, that's going to carry on with them through their lives. And I, I imagine if someone loses a parent super young, when they become a parent, this happens in their brain, just exactly how you described it. And it's, it's helped my relationship with my siblings as well, that I'm actually willing to have these conversations now. And while back then I was finally able to, whereas before I wouldn't ever allow them to go down that path with me that older than my brother was 12 and my sister was eight when she passed. Oh, wow. You're the youngest. Okay. Yeah. And so when they, we each went through our different phases. Um, so it's now fun that we can talk fondly about all of those things and, um, and relate with our, with our aunties and uncles and her siblings at the time. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a really restorative process over the years with our family and, with my stepmother and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but ultimately it, it brought me at peace with God again. And, um, that's been a, a real, that was a transformative change in, in my life as a, when I became a sophomore in college and it was sort of a no looking back now. And, um, that was, that was something that I dealt with in a, a real, a very real way. So had you met your wife yet? Cause she is a Christian as well. Did you, had you met her during that process? No, we met about three years after that. Okay, process. so you walked through that on your own. Yeah. Okay. But I, this is just a sort of fun story, but um, yeah. my, my, one of my mom's very final um, journal entries was that she prayed that her kids would um would find um spouses who loved the Lord just as much as that she did and she hoped that we would um that she that that we would come to know him and that we would marry spouses that also shared that as well. And my wife's mother when she found out about all this later on, she she was like a big time hippie and all of this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. She she's pretty sure that she made her um her peace with god right at that same year that that journal post was written so wow i'm not saying that that happened it's just it's just fun to to talk about that yeah that's that's so cool i like get teary i just hearing you recount that and just thinking about your mom writing those journal entries like when she was sick knowing that one day you guys might read the words that she wrote because she had been, she had been through. She knew how important that was for her to have that community of her church and, but their relationship with my father, um, as they they dealt with a year of dealing with cancer and all of that. How how vital that was to keep the um, the strength and the family going. So, yeah, that community of people is is so important. Now, okay, you began running though when you were five, like competing. So did that coincide with your mother's death? Did I mean at such a young age or did your dad just kind of put you in to to the sport? No, as I said, I'm the youngest sibling, I've got older siblings. So my family was fully involved with the the youth athletics or youth track and field okay. um, club at the time and it was sort of these picnic track and field mm-hmm. meets that we I'd, I'd like to describe them every two or three weeks 
you'd go to a different um, club's grass track somewhere around our region and um, the parents would bring a picnic basket and a picnic blanket and you'd be there for about four hours and between whatever event you did, all of the seven-year-old would go to the shot put at one time and then once the shot put was finished, that all go to the 100-metre start line and then once the 100's finished, they would all go to the high jump. So you'd do all of the different disciplines over the four or five-hour period and then you'd go back to your your picnic and go hydrate and hang out with the different families within your club. So that was, that was a, an awesome um, way to grow up as a little kid. And they were often these tracks were by like little creeks or streams or rivers and all the kids would make a watering hole. And that was, that was an awesome way to get involved with, with the sport. We were all in bare feet and you'd get little ribbons or little prizes from however you finished. And, the stronger kids would do well in the shot put and the faster mm-hmm. kids would do well in the hundred, but you all did all the events. And so it was a good way to like learn how to deal with defeat as well as um, deal with success at the same time and not let that overwhelm your reason for enjoying the sport. So my siblings were already doing that. And so I started at five because that was finally when I was old enough that I was allowed to do it as well. But I'm sure I would have done it when I was two if I'd been allowed to. <laughs> Yeah, well, I like that, too, because, you know, I think a lot of research says that kids should be using all of the different muscles and not just getting doing one sport where you're using all of the same muscles. So to do all the field activities, too, is probably really good. Um, my oldest is eight. I mentioned it almost eight. And I'm like, so we you know, we do casual sports with the kids, but we're very we're not really big into the organized sports, but he's pretty athletic. And I'm like well, if he's pretty athletic, like we should maybe see which sport he really enjoys doing so that then we can give him the opportunity to excel. But I've just been so hesitant because I just feel like in today's day and age, parents let sports just totally take over the life of the not just the kid, but the whole family. You're running kids from here to there. And we have four kids. And I'm like, I don't want to spend the next 10 years like that solely dictating our lives. So, um, I've just been super hesitant, but I was interested since you started so young now that you're a parent, just kind of what your feelings are on getting your kids involved in the organized sports. We, we do organize sports, my son, because we homeschool anyway. We mm. like even when this COVID stuff isn't happening. You already uh, do. You are already one of those families. Okay. Um, we were already homeschooling. So it, sports were a really good way for us Mm -hmm. to still like have stuff on the weekly Mm -hmm. schedule so for a lot of people that's like overkill when you're already doing sports on top so my son would play up to three sports a week um wow and it never like it was fun for him because he was home the rest of the day um so he was playing flag football and basketball and soccer um soccer was a really good one from the team aspect and it's good because i have very little interest in the sport (laughs) probably to my detriment that I sometimes have poo-pooed it in the past because (laughs) of my rugby background um I have a better appreciation now but what it's healthy as a parent that I don't get involved at all and I'm not I don't care whether he does well or not because I don't really care about soccer but that makes it way more freeing for him to not feel so that's been a, a fun sport for him to do just as like a it doesn't matter whether he's good or not, but basketball is a sport that he really has like taken seriously. And we watch every NBA game on TV every night, and he plays that two or three hours a day, sort of thing. Oh, you're loving that, I bet. But what I have found that I really enjoyed for myself, and I've tried to um, encourage this with our kids, is I like to offset the organized sports with 
the more creative artistic sports and so I've always been a big passionate person about skateboarding mm. um so we go down to the skate park every morning and ride scooters or skateboards around where it's just this open time to to do whatever you like down there you can figure out your own lines and you can be as physical or as unphysical as you like about it and so there's no um coach or no structure to it and I feel like those complement each other really well and when we've traveled for training camps we'll normally sign them up for like a parkour academy mm-hmm. um and those have always been very welcoming and that's the same sort of idea that it, you're not doing the sport for a competitive side it's more just from an artistic side and I I I encourage my kids to have well we try and foster a, an environment where they experience both sides of the spectrum I think there are benefits to both I love that I, now I want to go buy my big kids some skateboards how young how young was he when he got his first skateboard start with scooters okay we have we have a lot of scooters everybody's on scooters okay um yeah skateboarding is great if you progress properly which means literally starting on grass and get the balance down okay okay and then doing it on carpet and then otherwise kids if they have one bad fall at the beginning before they get like their center of gravity they'll hate it forever okay i'm i'm motivated all right nick um we're going to do end of podcast questions and then I just have like a little 10 minute extra that I usually try to do. I, I'm bringing it back. I used to have guests do these extra 10 minutes for my Patreon supporters and I stopped doing it. And now Emma, my communications manager, has encouraged me to bring it back. So is that OK? Yeah, that's totally fun. OK. Um, and thank you, by the way, for sharing so much about your mom. It was something I really wanted to talk about. And um, I just appreciate you taking the time to, to share with us about her. Uh, you're most welcome. Thank you. Uh, all right. What's one thing professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Hmm. I would love to experience being on the other side of the fence at an Olympic stadium seeing someone that I've been involved in helping assist them get to experience the joys and jubilation I got to um, when I won an Olympic medal, whether that be as as someone who's helped coordinate um, a a structure for them, whether through um, working from a company standpoint or in the coaching role or in some facility in that nature, I think that'd be to, to to be a fan screaming on that last lap as that athlete um, comes around the corner. Um, I feel sad that I didn't get to experience what all my family and friends talk about when I was running. So that would that would be an awesome experience to do it from the other side of the equation. I love that answer so much. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? I'm really proud of, um, this may not necessarily sound like an accomplishment, but a really important decision I had in my life was um, after my sophomore year in college, I almost made the Olympic final, but I just missed it. And I had the opportunity to, to, to turn professional after my sophomore year. Um, but with that, the advice that I received from other people, um, and I, I'm glad that I made the decision to, to forego that opportunity and to delay it one more year. Um, and that was very, um, yeah, it was very 
important for my own personal growth, but also I think my athletic growth and it established trust and built that relationship with my coach and my um, connection to the University of Michigan to, to stay an extra year. And it's, it's really been foundational in maintaining this awesome um, yeah, life that I have in Ann Arbor now because I didn't just jump at the first opportunity to mm. – at, at the paycheck that was being offered. Yeah, and going back to school in 2012 would have been a lot a lot more work than that one semester or whatever you had to do. That's right. Um, so, no, it was, it, was, it was really good. And that's ultimately, um, I got involved in some different groups, which, that, which, which is how I ultimately met my wife as well. So. It was meant to be. Uh, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring that you'd like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? Can they be – do they have to be alive? No. It would have been awesome to to go for a run with Peter Snell um, when he was when he was at his peak. Um, he was the, the great New Zealand runner. Um, I've talked to him later on in life once he became a very successful sports physiologist, but as an athlete before he sort of went down the science path, it would have been just fun to get into his mind at the moment of how he he was like the ice man. He was so cool, calm and collected, and he brought his A game when it mattered most. Uh, what is your one message to send to the world? There is no greater feeling than being loved whether it be from your parents or your spouse or your children, it's like one of the most, it's the most amazing feeling in the world and it's the most empowering thing in the world. For me to experience, to know that I'm loved by the creator of this universe, that ultimately is the, the greatest love that you can possibly receive. It is the most empowering thing that you can experience and the most freeing thing you can experience. I love it. Thank you so much. Okay, Nick's going to stay on for a couple Patreon questions, everybody. So um, if you want to hear a continued conversation with him, you can support the show over at patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. Thanks, Nick. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Nick, for sharing your story. Don't forget to go check out Prevenex, the brand new sponsor for this podcast. I'm so excited about it. They have Joint Health Plus for runners which will help with your joint longevity, performance, and overall health. Go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, you can find me on social media. I am LindsayHine626 over on Instagram, LindsayHine on Twitter, and I'll have another podcast with LindsayHine on Facebook where we have a really great group as well. You can find Nick on Instagram. He is Willis Nick over there. And you can find him on Twitter. He's at Nick Willis on Twitter. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And check out the other shows in the Sandy Boy Podcast Network, the Up and Running Podcast and the Illuminate Podcast. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.